you know, the Looney Tunes, right? Anybody, once you get in bed there with Foghorn Leghorn, it, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the DCL Duo podcast. And we're excited because tonight we're going to be diving into a little Disney Cruise Line history. We've got a guest with us, John. First, I want to start by welcoming him. Welcome, John. Thank you very much for having me. Hello, Brian. Hello, Sam. Hi. Thanks so much for coming. We're really excited to talk about Disney Cruise Line history with you. Yeah. Well, and specifically, what we're going to be talking about is the Big Red Boat. And now, John is not himself a Disney Cruise Line historian, but John did sail on the Big Red Boat. And so we're kind of excited to hear what the experience was like of sailing on the Big Red Boat because it was the precursor to Disney Cruise Line. But as always, before we dive into the topic of our show, we like to start with folks' general Disney background. So John, do you want to tell us your connection to Disney, you know, visiting the parks and that sort of thing? Sure, absolutely. So I uh, I was born and raised in Chicago. My first trip to Walt Disney World was December of 1971. So, you know, just about three months after, after it opened. Wow, yeah. Stayed at the Contemporary. My parents were kind enough to save receipts, room service menus, all kinds of things. So I have a pretty good uh, history of that. I believe our room for that period of time, we stayed, I believe, right after Christmas through New Year's at a wonderful rate. I think we were 20 eight dollars a night at that time. I <laughs> love it. And based upon what what they've saved and in my memories and everything, we went at least every year, if not twice a year. So we would go for a week for Easter, right now, spring break, and then we'd go for Christmas through New Year's. So there was plenty of Christmas mornings that I woke up and had my Christmas in the room at the Contemporary versus at home growing up, which was fine with me, right? No snow and weather was fine. And we were right there at Disney. So, you know, that's 71. In 82, we actually moved to Florida. And so from 82 until today, I've never been or lived further than two hours from the park. I've been as close as about 40 minutes. But right now we do have a, uh, a vacation place that we built that we're about two miles from Animal Kingdom. So when we go there, we're really close. But our main residence, we're right about two hours away. So if everything matches up, I would have been to Disney every single year since it opened. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> that in and of itself is impressive. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my Walt Disney history. I've been there for grad night. I can even tell you, I believe that this will be going back and you guys might I don't even know, and this this shows the age. But our our bands that night, we had Midnight Star, Tina Marie, Anna Motion, and I'm trying to think if there were any other ones. So that you know that 1985 graduation, but grad night there was fun and interesting. You know, going on, yeah, the Big Red Boat in '91. I purchased DVC in 2014 and did that on the resale market. So our home resort is Vero Beach. And one of the reasons for that is we wanted a beach place and Alani kind of wasn't to that point yet and probably a little too far coming from the East Coast. So that was Vero. We love it there. It's a great place to go, relax and just be away from the parks. And because I travel so much, I was always able, if I didn't want to stay at a Disney resort, I always had Hilton or Marriott points to use. So, you know, head there for a weekend. So that 
that that's always been been that part. Disney Cruises, I believe, been on four, trying to get that fifth one in. That one's been rescheduled once. It was actually should have been next Friday. Would have been our date, so now we moved it to Black Friday next year. And then this year in May, we would have done four days over at Disneyland, stay at the Grand Californian, and then hop the flight to Alani. So that was supposed to be May of this year. That is now pushed to June of 21, and it's going to be only Alani because, unfortunately, have no faith that Disneyland will even be open. We have a trip booked in April, and I know that they've reopened the Grand Californian, at least for DVC, but I'm not confident that for our April trip that the park will really be open, or at least not fully open. No, I just saw that actually um, California, including Orange County there, that they just pushed them back to what level one or phase one. So they were at what they were at two and had to go to four to open and they just pushed it back to one. So, yeah, I, I just having to book these things so far out. It's like, do you take a chance or do you just say, ah, forget it? Which is too bad because I was kind of hoping um, the new Marvel area would be open and I'd be able to uh, to see that. But I have done Disneyland. Uh, my first trip to Disneyland would have been in 96. And I think I've been five or six times since then. So the first time I went, it was just Disneyland. And then I believe the second time I went, California Adventure would have been open. Well, before we dive into the big red boat, John, so the four Disney cruises you've been on, which uh, which ships and where'd you go? So this is going to be uh, relatively lame because where I live, I am two hours from the port, from Port Canaveral. So... It's been that's paradise. Either, that's not, it is. That's not it is that's paradise. paradise. <laughs> but, but the thing is, my choices are either dream or fantasy. And every time we've gone, we've done the dream. So I really have to branch out and do the seven night on the fantasy. And actually, my ultimate goal is I'd like to do the ten or eleven Mediterranean. That would be my uh, my goal to be able to uh, to do that one. What was the cruise you were supposed to do next week? It would have been yeah, dream. <laughs> would have been the dream again. <laughs> Well, we know one of the rapid fire questions can't be what's your favorite Disney ship. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, it can, it can be. It's just a really easy answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. I'll take my guess there. And, but again, it's it's so interesting with the ships. So I have four children, wide range of ages. And the first time we just went with our youngest ones. And I want to say at that time, there were probably five. They're going to be 10 this week. So we didn't take the older children on that one. So we wanted to test it out, see how everybody did. My wife and I, we get there. We spend some time in the uh, champagne room uh, while the kids are in the kids club. We end up at the desk and we end up booking another one, this time for everybody. Um, <laughs> That desk is strategically placed for a reason. So. Oh, very. <laughs> Definitely. So then it, it was interesting because when we went with on that one where we, we had two cabins and I'm very much a creature habit. So every cruise, I like my cabin to be one of the five E's, the veranda on the very back of the boat. So I've done anywhere either like the eighth deck or the 10th deck. And 10th, we decided we don't like because you're right under the restaurant and they like to move the chairs and clean at about 6 a.m. That is right above you. So eight is our new choice there as far as the deck. And then we had an inside cabin as well for the older kids. But that part, there was places on the ship that we saw that we hadn't seen the first time. And then you go again, and this time it, we just went with the younger ones during Kids Club, we're exploring again, and we go and see like the adult section that we hadn't even seen the first time. So it is interesting that I've been on there you know, four times, and it's really taken 
all those times to where I feel like I've seen everything on the ship. I feel that way with the big, the bigger ships in particular. I think the the magic and the wonder, although we've only been on the wonder, you can kind of get through every, you still won't spend as much time as you would like in every location, but it takes a while on the fantasy and the dream even more so to really explore every location. Yeah. And so in, in finding the ports, I'm, I, you know, I'm one that on the dream, when you go to NASA, we don't get off. You know, we stay on the ship. I've done it once. And actually, I did it with the big red boat. No need to do it again. So stay on and be able to do the aqueduct as many times as we want. And, and kind of hang out there is more fun for everybody. So, you know, trying to match up the ports to things that we'd actually want to get off and see and do goes into that. We'll branch out. We'll branch out soon and, and do the fantasy. And, you know, we get that little choice too. That, not the choice, but that, you know, the Florida residence special. So, you know, if you can get those times where, you know, you can go quickly, you can end up with some decent prices and you only have, at least for us, that two hour drive down to the port. What I love about your answer just now is that one visit to Nassau in, uh, what was it, 1995? <laughs> 91. <laughs> yeah, 91. Yeah. 91 was su- more than sufficient. I assure your, uh, I assure your yeah, <laughs> enthusiasm yeah. for that port. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not big fans of NASA, but we'll take a castaway key stop. So we're, we're okay. <laughs> so where we have our vacation place there by Animal Kingdom, you can name your vacation home. They could be used as short-term rentals. We don't, but ours is actually named Castaway Cottage. So we named it after Castaway Key. Well, let's head into our topic for the evening, which is the big red boat. I think we've got to give our listeners some background here, John. So I'm going to try and paint a little bit of a picture, but you actually sailed on board this thing. So, you know, correct anything I'm saying that's wrong. And I may pause and ask some questions too. But for those of you out there who don't know, prior to Disney Cruise Line, Disney had actually a couple of forays into cruising, which was something I learned as I was researching for this show. The one we're going to talk about tonight is was a partnership with Premier Cruise Lines, but they did actually do kind of a themed cruise with Norwegian Caribbean lines, not Norwegian cruise lines as we know them today, but Norwegian Caribbean lines, apparently. In 1984, they did a fantasy cruise out of Miami to St. Thomas, the Virgin Islands, Nassau, and Great Stirrup K, and it was themed out with Disney folks. So they had, you know, Disney characters and stuff on board as their sort of, you know, little test balloon into cruising. And apparently it was wildly successful, so much so that when uh, when Michael Eisner came in as the CEO of Disney, I want to credit this to, to uh, Jim Corcus, who is a Disney historian and whose material I'm leaning on heavily this evening. But when Eisner came into Disney, he saw a lot of opportunity in the cruise business. And in 1985, Disney partnered with Premier Cruise Lines, which is no longer in business, but Premier Cruise Lines, to do seven-night land and sea vacations. So you would book a package. The packages were fairly all-inclusive. They, they included your airfare, your rental car, your hotel stay, your cruise. But they partnered with Premier Cruise Lines to do cruises out of Port Canaveral, like three, four-night cruises coupled with a resort stay for kind of a seven night package. And it was aboard what they called the affectionately the Big Red Boat. And so that partnership existed from 1985 to 1993. And yeah, that was the sort of first foray Disney had into cruising. Now, in 1993, they ended the partnership and then they, at that point, decided to start their own cruise line, which, you know, launched in 1995, I believe. So a little two-year hiatus there, but it was successful enough that Disney decided to start Disney Cruise Line. So let's hear about why that was or what the experience was like. So I guess, John, let's start with the ship. Uh, we all have this picture in our mind of, you know, these iconic Disney Cruise Line ships. You mentioned the dream, the fantasy, the wonder, the magic. They're they're iconic. Part of the experience is 
how iconic they are. What did the big red boat look like? So at that time, and being that that was the first cruise I had ever done, and they had three ships. They had the Atlantic, the Majestic, and the Oceanic. Um, the Majestic was the smallest one. I believe it, it based on even the it only had seven decks. And I believe the Atlantic and the Oceanic each had eight decks. But at that point, you when you walked up to it, you're like, wow, this is huge. Right. I mean, it, to me, you just you see it and, I, you know, they in the brochure, they even put the stats and the, the overall length was the oceanic 782 feet long. You look at it today and it would look like the smallest carnival ship It's probably the easiest way to me for me to explain what it would look like today, especially compared to right the dream or the fantasy. You know, those huge ships that it was big back then. But now when you look back, not not a large ship at all. Well, to put it to put it in perspective, you said the what did you say seven hundred and eighty two feet long? Yep. Yeah, the fantasy is one thousand one hundred and forty eight one thousand one hundred fifteen feet long. The other stat I pulled for the show is just that at least the Oceanic, I think it was, accommodated up to fifteen hundred passengers and five hundred crew. And I think the fantasy, if I'm remembering correctly, the capacity at double occupancy is like twenty five hundred people with a maximum capacity of four thousand. So I mean, you're you're talking a pretty big step up between the Oceanic, which was a larger of the vessels, I think, in the fantasy. So I think looking at a picture of the Oceanic in preparation for this, I was kind of surprised. I thought there were some things that were, you know, you're used to seeing on these ocean liners today that just weren't there. But but yeah, what what other what other thoughts did you see about the or have about the ship itself? In other things, just just looking back at it and now even doing research again and, and jogging my memory, there were no balconies on any room. Oh my God. That's what struck me. They were all porthole rooms, right? Every Every single one. So I took a picture of the whole catalog for that year and I sent it to you. And hopefully that's something that you can put out for, for the people who are listening. We booked on the pool deck and there was one deck above us, the sun deck. And we booked, there were two cabins on the very back, number 27 and 28. And we booked 27. And I just remember when you walked in, because it's an odd shaped room, you walked in and it was kind of a wall of windows and you looked out at the hot tub that was right outside there. <laughs> Which, again, booking it, you're like, oh, that's great. The hot tub's right there, but you can't really get to it unless you go out of your room, down the hallway, back out to even be able to go and get to it. But there's that wall of windows and then, you know, the bed kind of tucked in the corner. But yeah, no balcony or that on any of the rooms. So th- that was interesting. So where did I even find out about this? So, you know, they, they did the cruise, cruise in Disney Week. So they say that there's four choices. And realistically, the four choices are are three-night cruise, four-night Disney, four-night cruise, three-night Disney, and then reverts it, do Disney first, and then the cruise. So really, I mean, they, they said four itineraries, but they're all seven nights. Where do, where do you want to put the Disney in it? Back then, one of the easiest places and best places to go buy Disney park passes, and we're talking really before annual passes were popular, probably one of the best places to go get them was AAA. Because if you went in your AAA and you'd buy your three or four-day passes at a time, you get special parking at the parks for AAA. So you'd actually park closer than anybody else. And they'd give you this little card and you just show it when you pulled into the lot and you'd park closer to the entrance. 
So going in AAA, I was always a, I know I'm a, I'm a reader, but I also, I'm not a reader of, I love magazines. I love, I'd be the person that when you get a magazine, you know, in the back, they have all the travel magazines with a postcard to check off the boxes and mail it in. I'd check off to mail it in, right? And, and get stuff back. So going into AAA to me was, would be the equivalent of somebody going into Barnes and Noble, right? That, that's their greatest thing. So I just go there and grab brochures. I bought my tickets and I saw that one for premiere. So I got it probably the year before we were interested in it. And then we actually booked it, went back in, booked it through AAA. And we decided, let's do the four nights Disney and then we'll do the three night cruise because then we could relax, beat yourself mm-hmm. up at Disney and then then go on the cruise. Todd, you were, you were ahead of your time knowing all yes. the right strategies, right? That is pioneering <laughs> insight. Pioneering yeah. insight. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Um, it's still the right strategy today. It is. So it, I just remember at that time, I didn't need a rental car, right? I lived in Florida. I didn't need the rental car. So they were able to give me a credit on that and then apply that credit to park hopper passes because they get, it included the passes. So the hotel, the rental car, the passes, everything was included in this. So it ended up being, with taxes and everything, $2,139 for the week. For how many people? Two people. So wow. two that's people. Like, that's like that's like one night. That's like one night at Disney World. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. So when I booked it, I had to pick and you you got to pick your Disney hotel based upon the cabin category that you picked. Oh, oh. So if you so, had a nicer cabin, you were saying like deluxe resort. So, right. So the, the highest cabin category, I believe, was nine. And with that, you can book the Floridian, but there was like an extra $100 a night. <laughs> if you went category eight, you can do contemporary or Polynesian. And that was included in the price. So exactly. I, again, I've stayed at contemporary so many times my whole life. I'm like, okay, I'll do contemporary. That was great at that point. Where it went downhill is when the new catalog came out before I had taken the cruise. And it's probably, let's say we're two months to the cruise. And you mentioned my favorite Disney CEO earlier. I, I, again, there's so much we would not have today if it wasn't for Eisner. He saved the company. Now the category that I booked, new resorts opened, Yacht and Beach. (laughs) So now my category was contemporary Polynesian Yacht and Beach. So I called and said, hey, can I switch? And they said, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Well, it's good to know the beach club remained elusive in 1991 as it does today. So <laughs> it, Exactly. Exactly. So they wouldn't let, wouldn't let me switch to that. So that's really where um, all in, yeah, you're 2100 bucks for the whole week vacation for two people. You can't even get a seven night sailing on the fantasy of a dream for that today. For yeah, It's insane. Um, I mean, maybe on a discount rate, but yeah. Well, what, since you're mentioned it like what why don't we start with so these ships were sailing out of port canaveral what was that like at the at the time i mean disney has its own cruise terminal there today but back then i'm assuming it didn't so you know was it just a normal cruise experience or anything unique about it no, nothing unique about it. I mean, I I remember parking. So right now, Port Canaveral, you know, we park in the garage. I remember parking close to the terminal, but it was just on a dirt lot. So um, there was no parking garage or anything. So you just parked in a dirt lot and that was it. I mean, you, you checked in. There was nothing special or nothing memorable about it that I remember. And you definitely didn't get announced when you walked on the ship. 
I I can tell you that. Was Mickey there to greet you when you were in the terminal or or at least getting on the ship? Or I I wonder how that, what that was like in comparison to how it is today. So no. And that's the other thing. I, I don't remember seeing the characters on the ship at all. So I don't know if it wasn't something that, you know, that they spent more time with the kids and it was just, you know, us two adults and we didn't seek it out. But I don't remember actually seeing them. So so it was definitely something that they weren't readily visible. Yeah. So they weren't everywhere like they are now. I feel like now on the ships, you not just when you um, before you get on the ship, there's usually, you know, one of the characters in the terminal, at least in Port Canaveral. But, you know, once you get on the ship and you're walking around, you you will encounter characters every day. I mean, there's there's not a way that you can sort of miss at least seeing them from a distance. Right. I think the diff. I think the difference at the time was this was a cruise. I mean, basically you're getting a cruise, but it was a cruise with some Disney as opposed to a Disney cruise. And I think that's uh, there's some speculation that's why in part Disney decided to start its own cruise line was because. You know, there's there's kind of the lore that Eisner took one of these and said, yeah, we got to control this end to end. Like this needs to be more Disney. That's when he sort of said, there's enough opportunity here. Let's let's build a boat. So, yeah, it, it's but it's interesting to hear, John, that you didn't even see the characters <laughs> because, you know, that's that was one of the selling points from the brochure you sent was that, you know, there, there'd be some Disney there. And it sounds like there wasn't a whole lot of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't recall. So other than it being the big red boat and the fact that the Disney vacation is tied with it, once you're on the boat, I don't remember there being anything at all Disney. I'm curious, what were the cabins like as compared to what you get on a Disney ship today? Not bad. So the cabin that we had just based upon the brochure and in memory and everything was a just a queen bed with the ability to sleep a third person on the couch. So max capacity was three. It was other than the suites, which I think in the Oceanic, there might have been eight suites. These would have been the next largest cabins. Wow. So you can't even fit a family of four unless you had a suite. And then you're thinking, you know, if there's only eight of those on the whole ship, that's kind of unheard of now in cruising. Yeah, I think there were some interior ones that would do it, but I, I would assume that those would be really tight. Like, you know, just looking at it, there were some with two lower beds that can handle a third and fourth passenger. You had a double bed that could handle a third. It would be a queen and a double. So there were some that could handle it, but you weren't getting the size that you can now. So, I mean, I look at it now and it's like, well, we can easily put four in that cabin that we're in now, right? The two adults and the bed, one of them on the lower, the couch pull out, and then one on the ceiling pull down. These would have been probably somewhat similar in size based upon what I had, but I would think almost all the rest of the cabins would have been similar to just an inside cabin size. I'm curious if you know, and maybe Brian knows, I don't know, I, I, I don't know the history of Premier as a cruise line, whether or not Premier was known for being like a family-friendly cruise line. Cruises back then really were in, they were just really, you know, there was like the carnival sort of ones that were very family-friendly and they would do the Caribbean and stuff. And then there was sort of the other lines that were tended to be for older people. And it really wasn't, you know, obviously there wasn't a Disney cruise line. So I, I'm curious what Premier was like. Because that would sort of influence what their ship accommodations were like. Well, so if you remember, Disney started this partnership in 85. Oh, that's right. I'm thinking the 90s. The 90s is different. Yeah. And Premier Cruise Line started in 1983. So what 
I would venture to guess is that one, Premier Cruise Line was an upstart cruise line, probably more budget friendly. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know, John, what your impression was, but I have a feeling the partnership that Disney offered them was, you know, almost a bit of a lifeline for them. And Premier was the first cruise line, if I'm remembering correctly, to sail out of Port Canaveral. And that was very intentional, one, for the proximity to Orlando, but two, it was an underused port. And it really mm. forced some of the other cruise lines to start cruising out of Port Canaveral as you sort of fast forward a little bit to today. But yeah, John, I don't know what your impression was of the of Premier. Yeah, so I, I don't remember it being overrun with families and children, but it definitely wasn't a much elderly crowd. You know, I think the fact that they had that relationship with Disney probably skewed them younger than the majority of the cruise lines at that time. Now, the other thing, and again, you know, as far as being family friendly, there were kids areas on the boat, but there was also a casino on the boat. Oh, that was going to be a question is if they had a casino, because that's a big difference between <laughs> then and today. They did. So they did slot machines, table games. So they did have a casino on the boat, which, yeah, obviously you don't have that on the on the Disney um, line today. There's another thing about, I mean, you talk about the years with Premiere, but, you know, Premiere still, I believe, tried to make a go of it after Disney. And I remember out of the blue of seeing an article, and I don't even remember if it was still named Premiere at that time or something else, but they, they ended up going bankrupt and the ships actually got seized in whatever port they were in and all the passengers were stranded. The Disney relationship kind of solidified this kind of family-friendly image for Premiere. So after the Disney relationship ended, they partnered with Looney Tunes <laughs> to offer sort of cruises with their characters. What's interesting, too, is looking at sort of just looking at the company history, to give you a sense, they were owned by Dial Soap. Um, <laughs> the cruise line was owned by Dial Soap, which was itself owned by Greyhound Bus. So I think find that to be the ownership there to be fascinating. And yeah, they went bankrupt in 2000, so no longer in business. But yeah, they had this sort of, I, th I think what happened here is they were a newer cruise line. Disney partnered with them. They saw an opportunity for sort of this family-friendly market, and that's what they kind of tried to continue throughout the uh, throughout the years. But I'm sure Disney took a huge bite out of that when they started their own ships in '95. So yeah, well, and there's been so much growth in so many of the other cruise lines since that time as well. I'm sure they all and there's so much competition in that family cruise line space now that didn't probably exist when Premier first started. And I was just going to say, you got to think that eventually they just got si not they ultimately got sized out of the market as well. Because, you know, as we said, their three ships were not large at all. And suddenly, right, the industry starts going bigger with their ships. And if you don't have the capital to be able to, to keep up with it, you're, you're going to turn out to be nothing more than a, a little recreational weekend boat. You know, I think that's part of it that hit them. And, you know, the Looney Tunes, right? Anybody, once you get in bed there with Foghorn Leghorn, it, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so you, you mentioned the casino. I'm curious, like, what other activities were available? I think we always think about the dream and the fantasy is having, you mentioned, took you four trips to kind of see everything. But, you know, how many trips would it take to see everything on the on the big red boat, John? And, and what kinds of things were there to do? Yeah, so I think you could knock that out in a couple hours. Um, <laughs> you know, based on, so they had the pools. So there were two pools on, on one of the, on the pool deck, obviously. But there were two pools, not huge, but, you know, they were there. I, you know, I look at it now and even Disney, right, on the dream, right? You have the one square pool and then you have the smaller one with the Mickey shape. I would think size-wise, this would have been comparable to that. You know, I don't really feel that, you know, the Disney ships, that the pools are any great size. I mean, you yeah, you end up tiny. getting everybody. Yeah, you get 
enough kids in there and you can't even move around. Um, so similar there, they had, you know, some bars, they had a theater in there for performers, but I mean, the performers were really going to be at that time, right? They're going to be nightclub singers and in that type. So I don't even remember there being any type of what we would call a Broadway play or, or anything that went on. It was really just, you know, would have been magician, singer taking up that theater at that time. So a pool, a pool, some entertainment, a casino. <laughs> Do you remember if they had programming specific for the kids at all? They did. So there was a kids club. So it was actually called um, Pluto's Playhouse. Oh, ah. funny. So that was the children's recreation area. And there was a children's pool right outside of that playhouse, um, at least on the Oceanic. So one deck below the pool deck, there was a separate little pool right out, excuse me, a children's pool right outside that playhouse. So like, like a splash pool, like one of those like toddler type wading pools or like a real pool? No, like a real round pool, nothing big, but at that point, but yeah, the, and the playhouse compared to the size of the ship, not bad size. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, it was, you know, a decent size for that, for that type of boat. Was it the kind of kids club though, where like the parents had to go in and spend the time with you with the kids? I mean, or was it like a drop off kind of like we see today? I don't know. I think of like the old resorts where they would have like an arcade room, right? Where the kids could go and play, but the parents had to be there with them. It wasn't like there was a counselor or anything. Yeah. So I'll go off topic here, but the first movie I've ever seen by myself was actually at the movie theater in the game room at the Contemporary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, remember, all of these hotels used to have game rooms. I mean, I we used to vacation up in the Catskill Mountains when I was a kid. I grew up in uh, Long Island, New York, and they all had game rooms. But, you know, if you were 10 or 12, you could go there by yourself or with your sibling and, and play for hours and your parents didn't care. But I'm curious about how the cruises were back then. So they were drop-off. They were drop-off locations for children, but they had a first mates program, ages two to four. And that's, they have their, they use that Pluto's Playhouse, had a kiddie pool, slides, play equipment, and the youth counselors read them stories, sang songs, did art with them. Then they had Kids Call, which was for children five to seven. And there they were a pirate. So you lived out the fantasy of being a pirate. They learned about the wonders of the sea. They also would dance their favorite music. There was a special party with Disney characters. And then that had toys and games and everything. Star Cruisers were for ages 8 to 12. They did scavenger hunts, it says on the ship, as well as Nintendo games and other types of games as well. Oh, now we're talking old school Nintendo. This is the fun part. <laughs> the good Nintendo. Yes, yes. The, the Nintendo, the Nintendo Sports Challenge is, what, <laughs> is actually what's listed here. And then your teen cruisers for thirteen and up. And then they did have a teen nightclub as a as a hangout, and that had theater with first run movies for the kids as well. So yeah, so there was quite a bit there for for the kids at that time. Now we know who to blame for Pirate Night. It sounds yeah. Like. Um. <laughs> well, I, I do have to say, I actually, I like the idea. So I know right now the way they split up the kids is, you know, you don't get sort of split up until you get to that age 12. You know, everybody's from, from three to 12 is in the main two kids clubs. I personally think that's a bit of a mistake because I, I think a four-year-old and a, you know, an 11-year-old play quite differently generally. And so I, I would like if they kind of split up the kids club, maybe one more level. But it's interesting to hear that that's, that is sort of how it, how it started, that it was much more split up by age group than it is now. 
Aside from the casino, John, like adult entertainment, like we're used to these areas on the Disney ships now yeah, that are bars. Like adult only. Yeah. Or restaurants well, bars even. and shows and clubs and that sort of thing. Like what, what kind of activities do they have for the adults? So they did have, so again, obviously it, it was to me somewhat more geared around the casino, but they did have bars. They had um, a cabaret type bar on there and then they had the outside bar as well. So they were there. I mean, you can not as much activity, even looking back at this and I didn't do it, but I don't even remember seeing a spa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask. <laughs> Did they do things like trivia or other kinds of like yeah, games so, for the adults? So I know, so I know they they did. So I know that they had a, a bunch of that where they'd have a, uh, you know, the honeymooners and stuff like that would have a special meeting and cocktail and that with the captain and, you know, get your picture with him. And, and then they did have, you know, some of the different trivia stuff throughout the day. I think what, what I remember most is everything was really geared geared around the midnight buffets. Oh yeah, uh, the, midnight, the infamous midnight buffet, <laughs> which is so funny because they, you know, they still have midnight buffets on a lot of other cruise lines. <laughs> who knows if that will survive COVID? Yeah, I remember I, I had a, a lot of friends growing up who went, went on cruises with their families to the Caribbean, and they would typically, I think, Carnival and Princess were kind of the the two big lines that, that people would go on, and everyone would talk about the buffets, and they would just talk about how much they ate their entire vacation. They'd come back tan and full of food. <laughs> but what, but what's interesting is the midnight buffet did not translate over into Disney or at least not. Yeah, today. they have yeah, I mean we have the one midnight the one buffet that they do on what is it pirate night that we've been to once. And the late night steam table in the adult <laughs> Right, right, right. No, I think that's funny. You just didn't have as many areas that you can break out and go. But and I think so much of that too is just because of maybe to me the size of the ship at that point. There wasn't a lot. So even looking at the itinerary, so you doing the you know, us doing the three night, what was interesting was you leave Port Canaveral at four thirty in the afternoon, right? Very similar to, to Disney now. But you didn't arrive and get off on Nassau until one thirty the next day. Oh wow. It took a lot longer then. And then so so if you left Port Canaveral Friday at 4.30, you got the Nassau Saturday at 1.30. You left Nassau Sunday at 4.30. An overnight at Nassau that is like the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I bet most people stayed on the ship or would come back for dinner. Right. Yeah. And, and part of that, so when you look at it, it's like, okay, so that Saturday is your Nassau day. Go there to the Bahamas, go to the island, go, you know, walk and through go the to little... Atlantis. Yeah. Well, not back then so much, right? You it was just the market right there. Or you'd walk down the streets because you thought it was neat at that time that you could see a sign for a McDonald's or a Kentucky fried chicken in a different country. <laughs> They're just, yeah. So Atlantis, if I'm correct, in 91, I don't think Atlantis was built yet. That would have been your Saturday, right? Do that. And then you're back on the boat. And then Sunday, you took a tender to their private island, um, ah. Salt, Salt Key. So while the boat stayed there in Nassau, you tendered to the private island, which obviously wasn't very far. And then when you came back after that for Salt Key, then 
it was back to Port Canaveral and you were back, you know, Monday morning at nine. So the big question then, since you brought it up, I, I did see that they had their private island on the itinerary. How did Salt Key compare to Castaway? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's ask, what, what was it like? It's not really fair to compare, I'm sure. No, but John, and, tell us. <laughs> yeah, and, and my house isn't named Salt Key Cottage. Um, <laughs> yeah. now, so I thought it was neat. I remember hearing one thing about it. Being one area like Gilligan's Island was filmed here, or at least part of it, right? That and I'm like, it, and that stuck with me all these years. And then looking back through the brochure, it actually mentions it that Salt Key was where part of you might recognize it from being used for Gilligan's Island, and also parts of the movie Splash were filmed there. Oh, cool. um, uh, yeah. yeah. It, it actually was a very was a nice island. I mean, it it had hammocks, it had beach chairs, it had you know, areas to swim and snorkel. And, you know, the one area was a nice curved, where I say curved, it was just kind of like the water was there and it kind of made a U shape. So you kind of had that beach all around it. I thought the island was fine. I thought it was very nice. Definitely not to the level of what we have now with Castaway Key, but, or hopefully we'll have with Lighthouse Point. But yeah, I I think it was fine at at that point. That was definitely one of the highlights from the cruise. That's kind of amazing, though, that they had their own private island. I wonder if that was a thing back then with other cruise lines. I don't remember hearing that other cruise lines had their own private island. No, I think this was one of the first or definitely very early compared to anybody else. You know, but the big thing, right, another difference, right? You had to take a tender to it. Yeah, I hate taking the tender. But, you know, if it's to go to a private island, I'd do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, if we have to. Well, an, an interesting an interesting connection between Salt Key and Castaway Key is that portions of Splash were also filmed at Castaway Key. So maybe that's how <laughs> Disney figured out where to go. Oh, <laughs> funny. So I'm curious about food. I want to talk food. We can talk Salt Key if we had food there too, but I'm sure it wasn't the, the amazing barbecue that we have at Castaway Key now. But I'm curious what was there and, and what was it like and how was the food, if you remember? So to hit on Salt Key, so Salt Key did have a barbecue and burgers, chicken, Right, just regular barbecue food. So, right, decent. They did not have self-serve ice cream machines there <laughs> on, on the island. But food was fine. You had one restaurant, they called it for the Oceanic, the Seven Continents restaurant, where everybody ate in that same location. They did have a, a cafe and a terrace, which I believe those were more used just for kind of quick food. And then obviously they, they had their room service. Things I remember about the food, food was good. But like, again, going back to those midnight buffets. So I want to say the first night, it, well, the night, the, the Nassau night, you get back in the boat and it was midnight omelets and French onion soup. <laughs> That, that was a big buffet for that night about how great their omelets and their French onion soup was. Oh my goodness. That's funny. I mean, I love a good omelet and I like some French onion soup. So that's not, it doesn't sound terrible to me, but it's just an, a funny kind of thing that they would be touting. You're right. And I remember staying up and having an omelet and French onion soup. <laughs> now, the, the rest of the food, and again, it's just one of those things. You eat so many meals, you don't remember anything. I don't remember much of the actual dining room meals. I know I ate there, but I just I just really don't remember them. Now, the Midnight Buffet was actually really neat and amazing. So, I mean, it's one of those where the Midnight Buffet is there. I remember people lining up. Now, one of the things I, I want to say that the 
the crew on the boat, they were excellent. And there was our waiter that, you know, we would talk to him, we'd see him all the time. And, you know, he took a liking to us and was always, you know, what can I get for you? Where are you? So the midnight buffet, people are lining up to get into the restaurant when they drop, you know, rope dropping that midnight buffet. We go and get in line at whatever time it is, 11.55, and we're definitely towards the back. And he sees us and is like, come here and pull us up and put us in front of everybody then except for probably the first four people who were walking into the place. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, again, I felt bad partly and I didn't make eye contact with a single person. But the thing is, he's telling me to do it. I'm not cutting everybody on my own here. That what was neat that you just remember is tons of ice carvings. So I mean that I mean it was a big to do. So besides being the buffet with tons of food and everything that you'd get on a cruise buffet, right? As far as the seafood, the meats, and and all that, but just all the different carvings and the different things that they do with you know making birds and flowers and everything out of the watermelons and in that. So uh, you know to me that was one thing that I definitely remember is uh, they they put a lot of work and effort into that. And being that that's your last night on the ship, I think that's, it was a good send off, you know, to stay up to that and see it. Now, whether you, you know, ate too much or not at 12 to, to 1 a.m., that's a different story. But, you know, food was decent, but yeah, it was, it was visually very neat and they did a good job. So that's kind of what I remember about the food. I kind of remember a classic cruising. There was always things like the baked Alaska party or the baked Alaska parade through the dining room on one of the ships I was on or the um, the captain's table, which is something that Disney doesn't really do or lobster night or that sort of thing. Did they have any of that on board the ship? So I remember there being, so none of that rings a bell, but I do remember that, you know, one of the nights would have been your formal night with the captain in that. So if I'm correct, like that night that they did that, that would have been like the newlyweds and the anniversaries had their little cocktail reception with the captain, which you were all dressed up for. And then you went to dinner from there. So that was kind of a formal dinner that evening. And how did they handle like breakfast and lunch? I mean, did they have any like quick service options or was it like you go to the buffet or you go to the main dining room? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember on breakfast and lunch. Yeah. And I bet they didn't have at that time any kind of specialty restaurant. Of course, oh, it now- was a big deal. It was a big deal to go to multiple dining rooms. Well, sure. I mean, rotational dining is is completely Disney invented. But a lot of these other cruise ships, of course, have just a ton of dining options now. But I feel like even before it became a thing to have like Johnny Rockets on a cruise ship or all these other restaurants on cruise ships in the in the 2000s, there were always like there was always at least one sort of specialty dining restaurant. It would be like a a, well, it would be like a fine dining restaurant for adults only. Yeah. And it very much would depend on what cruise line you were seeing. Like we sure. sailed on Celebrity and they had it and that's because Celebrity was catering to a higher end. Yeah, but I know that Princess and... I don't think, and Carnival, I don't I don't know think Carnival, Carnival would have had it. But I'm assuming back then on Premiere, there probably wasn't that. No, I mean, the one, and I don't even remember if there was room service or anything, but yeah, there was really that that one restaurant and that's it. There might have been a, a little smaller like quick service but that's it. It was mainly just that one restaurant. And if I had a guess, I, other than the dinners, I would think if I everything would have been buffet. Well, and I, and I think the other thing would be, I'm guessing you didn't get the expansive shopping experience that you get on a Disney <laughs> fantasy or a, a Disney dream. It was probably more like a, a small sundry gift shop, if anything. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I don't even remember there being any um, any logoed merchandise. I, I know that I I don't remember afterwards coming off the boat wearing my Premier Cruise Line polo or, or spirit jersey. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did not did not have any of that. Well, John, as we sort of wrap things up with your experience on Premier, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you recall or a favorite memory or anything from that cruise or, or, or anything like that? Yeah, I, so here here's one thing that I will tell you. So, and this really is goes more to the ships today. Our seas were six to eight foot that whole time that we were on Premier. When I got off the boat, I still felt like I was on the boat for a few days, right? The, the earth was still moving and, you know, no motion sickness or anything like me, but, but you felt it. Other than one little period of time, the Disney cruise, and when I say one period of time, it was a couple hours where you kind of, I kind of felt it. I have never felt motion on the dream on any of the cruises I've been on. So between those being the boat being the bigger, the you know the stabilizers that they have, everything. That's one thing that I do remember is that smaller boat with Premier was definitely felt every wave in the ocean on that boat. Yeah, that is not surprising. Uh, the technology has advanced so far these days with these ships to kind of minimize that motion. But it, I think it's also, I've said this before on our show, it, the, the amount of motion on the ship these days, I think, depends much more on where you're sailing than the ship that you're on. Yeah, the stabilizers have gotten so good. I guess any other final thoughts, John, before we wrap up here? No, it was good. I'm glad we were able to share it. And I, I, I have those old brochures and the prices. But yeah, it's it's crazy when you look at it over time and, and see it. I, Disney at that point was definitely the Disney part of the trip, not the ship part of it. I wish we could get those prices back. You know, can I do, uh, <laughs> you know, pair, pair up the dream for uh, three nights, four nights at the Contemporary and, uh, you know, be, be about 2000 That would super, be nice. Super jealous of that. <laughs> well, let's head into then our favorite or Sam's favorite part of the show, which is rapid fire. So Sam, I'm going to throw it over to you to do our rapid fire round with John. All right, John. So this is our rapid round. What this means is I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and you're going to tell us what your personal favorite is. And the only rule to the rapid fire round is there are no rules. So who is your favorite Disney or Pixar character? You know, I've tried to study for these and listen to your past episodes and, <laughs> questions and, and narrow them down. It's going to be Mickey. It, you know, if I go number two, it's going to be Pluto. But Mickey's number one. Yeah, I mean, it's classic. I mean, everybody loves Mickey. Okay, your favorite Disney or Pixar movie? So Pixar movie, two that I go back and forth. And they really, it's a nostalgia for me because it was favorites of my children. So Bugs Life and then Monsters University. If Monsters University is on, I'll watch it because I just think that one's hilarious. I just watched that like a week ago. I love art. I, lo I just love, like, I, art is one of my favorite characters. I love his line where he's like, I can't go back to jail again, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so next question is, what is your favorite Disney park? It's a, for me, it's actually going to be Disneyland. Just going there it is different because I, I think if you take any ride that's at both parks, in almost all cases, I'll take the Disneyland version, right? Pirates is better. Small World is better. Haunted Mansion, I'll say, is better at Disney World. 
But mm-hmm. most everything else to me is better at Disneyland. And I look at it because of some of those rides that they, they were built to be a ride. They weren't built to, can we get 3,000 people through in an hour? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a really good point. Okay, so your favorite Disney attraction. So mine is actually, so I'll go with two here. So Pirates is my favorite, though, the original version. My number one favorite attraction, if I go through it, it's it's going to be Mr. Toad. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. I was a big fan of Mr. Toad. And, you know, it's, and to me, I think it's changed as right as you age and different things. Growing up, I think the ride that I remember the most growing up would have been if you had wings at, you know, the Magic Kingdom. I don't think I ever went on that. Now, that's where Buzz Lightyear was. And at that time where you had ticket books, right? A, B, C, D, E tickets. If you had wings was a free one. You didn't have to use a ticket. So I remember we probably rode that more than any other ride because, right, you you bought your ticket book and you had to strategically use your tickets in, in that book. But if you had wings, you could go on as many times as you want. So that's the one that's probably ingrained in my mind more than anything. But I, Mr. Toad, to me, was the best. The fact that I could still see it at Disneyland is great. But Pirates is, is wonderful. We were heading out to California for a trip. And so I took my oldest kids and we shot over to Magic Kingdom. So we drove, I think, probably two hours. We drove two hours, went to Magic Kingdom, went, rode pirates, walked back out, got in the car, drove back home. Then the next morning we flew to California and went and rode pirates first. So I wanted to ride I wanted to ride pirates in both parks back to back days. Nice. I love that. That's awesome. Okay. So you didn't mention any modern attractions. So I'm actually going to ask you, I'm going to add a question and ask you what your favorite modern attraction is. Again, I think Radiator Springs Racers is great. Uh, 10 times better than Test Track. I am not a fan of Tower of Terror, but now with California with the Guardians overlay, you crank some loud music up in Tower of Terror and I'll go on it. I just think that that it was an amazing ride. I was there when it opened. So we happened to be there when it opened. So I rode it that first weekend and that and, and loved it. You know, Soarin' Over California was probably the one that I was most impressed with because again, I rode it in California. It wasn't in Florida yet. So I was so excited when it when it came to Epcot, that one probably to me had the biggest impact, right? I just thought when Soarin' Over California opened and I rode that, like that was amazing. Okay. So the next question is a favorite rotational dining. So we're talking on the dream since that's the ship you've been on, which is your favorite rotational dining on DCL? Animators. Okay. Your favorite show? It's not there anymore. Villains Tonight. Oh, I've heard that one was great. So it, you have to go on YouTube, find it, and watch it. And no two were the same. So Hades, depending who played him and everything, Hades was a guy who can who did a lot of timely jokes. So like he would he would have little periods of time where he would just throw jokes at you, and he'd do Kardashian jokes, you know, that Tim Tebow jokes, at anything, right? Just very timely for that. And I just thought that 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 was a neat show. I mean, it was. It was just more off the cuff. So we really liked that one. 
Yeah, they let Jeannie do that in the current um, Believe show and in a little bit in the current Aladdin show on board. They do let the the Jeannie do some sort of timely jokes. But yeah, I heard that villain's show was really great. Okay, your favorite onboard food. We have to get cookies and milk at night before we go to bed. So they do that with the kids. But um, this would be silly. I just I do like the self-serve soft serve when they have like the banana. Okay, your favorite onboard drink. So I'm not going to answer that one for myself. I'm going to answer for my wife there. And it's it's the Moe ice with the popsicle in it. Yes, so good. We love that at the at Ooh La La or uh, Pink. Uh, okay, the last question is bucket list cruise. If you could go anywhere on DCL specifically, where would you go? It doesn't even have to be someplace they currently sail to. Yeah, I, I would do where they say I would do the Mediterranean one. I mean, just to just to hit the you know Italy, France, Greece, and that I think that would be a, a wonderful cruise. Yeah, we've heard really great things about that that itinerary, although we have not done it ourselves. Okay, well, that is the end of our rapid fire round. Thank you so much, John, for being a good sport and answering all my silly questions, and also for talking to us about the big red boat. This has been really interesting. I'll say one more thing. Um, Remy, better than Paulo. That's just ah. that's just my opinion. But I also think Remy, equal to or better than Victoria and Alberts. Okay, so we're going to agree with you on Victoria and Alberts and Remy. Remy for sure beats Victoria and Alberts. But have you had all four meals between Remy and Paulo? Not all four. So I've done dinner at all of them. I haven't done the brunches. Ah, okay, so that's why you have the opinion you have. That makes perfect sense. We agree with you on dinner. So on dinner, Remy beats Paulo. On brunch, Paulo beats Remy. Okay. So you got you to do brunch. And your next, your next cruise, you're going to book a seven night, and then you're going to go, you're going to do both brunches too. <laughs> you know, you can tackle cruise. them in sequence. He doesn't have to do them all at once. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't do, you don't have to do dinners on these. You don't have to do Remy and Paulo dinner since you've already done them. Oh, now you're denying him his favorite. Oh, yes. So can... <laughs> yes. Okay. I, we have to do Remy dinner every time. So do, do Remy dinner again, but skip Paulo dinner and go do Paulo. I would even say skip Remy brunch and do, because for Brian and I, the number one is Paulo brunch. Number two, is Remy dinner and it's a it's a very close call there. Hollow brunch is incredible. It's it's completely different because it's a buffet and a sit down at the same time. And pro tip, don't order breakfast foods at brunch. Order the lunch type foods at at brunch and well, order the Italian food, not the, the Italian, standard. Yeah, exactly. Go, yeah. you go yeah, at yeah. like eleven thirty or something for brunch. Don't go at like nine a.m. <laughs> Perfect. Well, John, uh, you will have to come back on and let us know your thoughts about Palo Brunch if you uh, if you if you take it and where it ranks. But uh, really appreciate you coming on this evening and talking to us about Premier Cruise Lines and your experiences on the Big Red Boat. It's been a blast. Hey, I enjoyed it, and thanks so much. And uh, it was a pleasure spending time with you guys. Well, it was a lot of fun talking to John about the Big Red Boat. I think it's really fascinating to see where some of the history of Disney Cruise Lines continues through to this day, or was at least maybe informed a little bit by their experience with the Big Red Boat. Um, you know, Pirate Night, <laughs> maybe that did come out of the Kids Club, the Private Island. It sounds like Premier could have been one of the first to do that. So just really interesting to see where Disney started and compare it to today where they've gone. And uh, who knows where they'll take it next with the Wish. We're really looking forward to seeing what that ship looks like. But I want to thank John for coming on to share his experience. It was a lot of fun to talk with him. 
with that, we do have a new five-star written review in and want to remind everyone out there to leave us those reviews because we will read them on air just like this one. So this one comes from Cruising Chris, who writes, Fascinating couple. Brian and Sam are extremely knowledgeable about the cruising industry, technology, and media. And they are excellent interviewers, knowing how to pull information from the guest. All ingredients important for a very interesting and professionally managed podcast. I love the way they interact with each other and sharing their experiences and asking questions. Well, thank you, Cruising Chris, for that review. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, We appreciate all of our listeners and we love it when we get good feedback. It keeps us motivated to keep putting the show together because this is a labor of love for us. We don't make any money off this podcast. We're just doing it because we love Disney Cruise Line and we love media new Disney fans. So with that, I do want to thank each and every one of you out there in our community for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL duo each week. Please also head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us those five-star reviews. They're super helpful in surfacing our podcast to people who might be looking for our content. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also head over to the DCL duo channel on YouTube for even more great content, including our most recent DCL 101 series on online check-in. So go check that out go over there and learn the tips and tricks to make that process as smooth as possible. You can also join the DCL Duo Vlog and Podcast Facebook group. Head over, hit join, and we would love to have you join our conversation with other like-minded cruisers. The DCL Duo Podcast and Vlog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Walt Disney Company, or the Walt Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Walt Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Walt Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night.